looking at verse 22 today. Guru Nanak Dev Ji continues his discussion on the false attempts by mankind to know the extent of the universe, to understand its edges, to understand its limits. In the previous verses, we've seen how Guruji looks at two competing theories from the Islamic tradition and the Hindu tradition. So this is a continuation of that conversation. The verse begins, Patala Patal Lak Agasa Agas So the word Patal is the underworlds, the under regions, and akas is the word being talked about here when we talk about agasa agas, and akas means skies. So we've heard some of these words before. In the Sunya Pauris, when Guruji says Sunya Deep Lok Patal, the word Lok refers to the higher levels of space, higher levels of realms of the universe. In the Hindu mythology, they said that there is the earth and then there are seven Lok, seven higher realms, and seven Patal, lower realms underworlds. The word luck in Indian numbers means a hundred thousand. Ik luck, one hundred thousand. Luck means hundreds of thousands. And here Guruji uses a very specific grammatical tool known as Dehali Deepak. The word luck is Dehali Deepak, which means that the word luck in the middle of the phrase refers to the words before it and after it. So when we read Patala Patal Luck, Guruji is saying that there are hundreds of thousands of Patal, lower regions, and the word luck also applies to agasa agas. So there are hundreds of thousands of higher regions, higher realms. A lot of time you'll hear Guru Nanak Dev Ji being misquoted with this particular line. A lot of people will use this line to suggest that Guru Nanak Dev Ji predicted Long before scientific discovery, Guru Nanak Dev Ji predicted that there were thousands of galaxies and solar systems to somehow show that Guru Nanak had this power of fortune-telling. But Guruji wasn't interested in demonstrating his power. 
So this is not what Guruji is saying here. Guru is not trying to show his own powers and his abilities within this Bani. At this point, Guruji is simply quoting the existing theories. So when Guruji talks about patala patal, lak agasa agas, when we look at the next line, we understand the context that Guruji is using. Orak orak pal thake ved kehen ikvad. So Guru is talking about the Vedas, the Vedas, the existing knowledge within the Hindu tradition. Orak orak pal thake. The word orak means to reach the end of something. The end of the end. The very ends. Orak orak. Pal means to search. Notice it has a sihari, it's a verb. Pal. Orak orak pal thake. Thak means to get tired. Orak orak pal thake ved kehen ikvat. If we were to translate this line, we could say those searching the ends of the ends are exhausted. This the Vedas utter. This is what the Vedas have told us. So the Vedas have already explained that there are hundreds and thousands of worlds. That the limit of the universe cannot be found. The limit of divine creation can't be reached. But Guruji isn't talking about something purely historic here. Even today, we have scientists trying to understand the universe. The big questions of the universe come under a study, a field of science known as cosmology. It includes concepts like string theory, dark matter, dark energies. And you may have heard of the most famous scientists in the world fall into this category of scientist. People like Albert Einstein, Stephen Hawking. The approach that they use is known as theoretical physics. And in theoretical physics, unlike other types of science, there are no experiments. There is no evidence. There are only theories based upon mathematical calculations. Now think about this. Scientists often mock religions because they say that religions are based on belief and science is based on evidence. Yet at the very highest levels of science, at the point where no more experiments can be done, there there are only theories. So at the height of religion and at the height of science, there are questions that are asked that simply cannot be answered. Questions that cannot be proven by experiments. 
And historically, cosmology, the study of the biggest questions of the universe, has always been studied by the religious. It was always the meditators who were the ones looking at these big questions. So, initially, it was the believers who were studying cosmology. Now it's the atheists who are studying cosmology. But both had the same desire to try and understand the ends of the universe. But what purpose do these questions serve? What purpose does it serve mankind? If we understand when the universe began, remember we talked about this in the last session. Govern Sovela, Vakt Govern, Govern Thit, Govern Var, Govern Siruti Mao, Govern Jithoa Akar. What was that time? What was that season? What was that lunar phase? What was the date in which creation began? These questions have always been around. But what is the purpose of these questions? What benefit does it give us? If we know when the universe starts, how does it help us? If we know the future of the universe through mathematical calculations, we can see how far the universe is going to expand. And scientists talk about the universe reaching a point at which it starts contracting. How does it help us? The study of cosmology looks at the origin of the universe and the future of the universe. But reality exists in neither the past nor the future. There is only one reality, which is now. As the now moves on, reality moves on. So no matter how much they search, their questions do not give us any better indication of our reality. In fact, through the questions of origin and through the discovery of the future of the universe, reality seems to be missed. And even if they figure out that date when the universe started, the question still remains, but what was there before that universe? In Hindu cosmology, they have estimated that the creation of the universe is cyclical. That the universe that has been created, the one that we exist in now, is not the first universe. Universes before it have been created and destroyed and the cycle continues. Each time the universe is created, expands, collapses, then it starts again. So even if we understand when this universe was created, have we really understood the origin of everything? 
So even if science finds out the greatest questions, brings the answers to these questions, there are always going to be questions that science simply cannot answer. And this is where philosophy and religion come in. They say that where science ends, religion begins. But both in scientific cosmology and religious cosmology, there are always going to be questions, there are always going to be limits that cannot be reached. So this is what Guru Nanak Dev Ji is saying, Orak Orak Pal Thake. Searching the ends of the very ends, the searcher gets tired. There is a limit to how far you can go, but still you won't reach the very ends. And this, the Vedas testify. This is what the Vedas have told us. Says atarhe ken kateba aslu ikatat. Says means thousands. Atare means 18. 18,000s Gehen Kateba are what the books tell us. Here the word books now refers to the Islamic Abrahamic traditions. Within the Abrahamic traditions, Islam talks about four books, four revelations. And again, we see a similarity to the previous verse. In the previous verse, Guruji talked about Kavan Sovela, Vakt Kavan. Guruji was talking about Hindu ideas and Islamic ideas. So here again, Guruji has started with Hindu concepts around the Vedas. Now Guru is talking about Islamic concepts. Sahas Atharha Kan Kateba. So the Kateb, there are four Kateb according to the Abrahamic Islamic traditions. The first one is the Torah, which is the holy scripture of the Jews. Revelation revealed to Moses. The next book is the Zabur, the revelation revealed to David. Some say that the book of David equates to the book of Psalms within the Bible. This is the second book. The third book in Islamic tradition is called Injil, which refers to the Bible, referred the Bible, which is revealed to Jesus. And the fourth and final book within the Islamic tradition is the Quran revealed to Muhammad. Which is why they say the Quran is the last revelation, the fourth and final book. Each book in their tradition, they say, was relevant for the people of that time. But when the Quran was revealed, then that became the, the final word. And all of these books and the traditions that follow these books talk about 18,000 worlds. And they also mention seven heavens, 18,000 worlds and seven heavens. And Guru Nanak Dev Ji was familiar with all these concepts. 
during the Guru's times, around the time of the fifth Guru, Guru Arjan Dev Ji, one of our most respected scholars was writing the history of the Gurus. His name was Pai Gurdas Ji. And Pai Gurdas Ji talks about a story when Guru Nanak visited Baghdad in Iraq. Guru Nanak visited Baghdad after his tour of Mecca. And he settles outside of Baghdad and begins to sing Kirtan. The sound of his Kirtan was so mesmerizing that the whole town became silent and still. And the meditators and the great saints within Baghdad knew that something important is happening. They went to find the source of this silence and they found Guru Nanak. When somebody went to listen to Guru Nanak Dev Ji's teachings, they heard Guru Nanak Dev Ji recite these verse, Patala patal lak agasa agas Orak orak pal thake ved kehen ikwaat Sahas athar hai kehen kateba He went and reported back to his seniors and said that there is a man called Nanak and he is saying blasphemous words. Where we and our tradition talks about 18,000 worlds, he says that there are hundreds and thousands of worlds. Where we talk about seven heavens, this man called Nanak is talking about countless heavens. The leader at the time ordered all of his followers to pick up stones and to go stone Guru Nanak to death. And all the people who were agitated by this message went to Guru Nanak, ready to throw stones, ready to kill him. And a holy man called Dastagir questioned Nanak and said, according to our tradition, we talk about 18,000 worlds in seven heavens. How can you possibly claim that there are more? And not just more, but hundreds of thousands more. What evidence do you have? If you show us the evidence that you have, then we will leave you alone. Guru Nanak Dev Ji offered to take Dastagir. He said, I will take you and show you how many galaxies and solar systems there are. Dastagir got a little bit worried. He said, I'm old, I may not survive such a journey, but my son is young and he is innocent. Take him and whatever he comes back saying, I will believe him. Guru Nanak Dev Ji is said to have taken the son of Dastagir and told him to close his eyes. When he closed his eyes, he was catapulted out to the galaxies and Guru Nanak Dev Ji took him to one galaxy after another, after another. And everywhere that he went, Guru Nanak Dev Ji took a little sample and brought something back and gave it to Dastagir's son. 
And thus the Gi realized that there was no limit because Guru Nanak was able to go further and further and further than anyone had shown before. To a point at which Dastagir's son said, please can I go back to my father now? I fear I've seen too much. Guru Nanak Dev Ji brings back the boy and but brings with him prashad, evidence from every single place that he's been to. And the boy reveals back to his father, there really are countless universes. So this story is recorded and was written at the time of the Gurus by Pai Gurdas Ji. It's also covered in a lot of detail in other great historical texts by Mani Singh Ji's Janam Sakhi, Kavi Santok Singh Ji's Nanak Prakash, very established, very respected historical grants. So Guru Nanak Dev Ji has shown that there is no limit to the universe. Says Atharhe Kehan Kateba, the Islamic books talk about 18,000. Aslu ik taat. There are two ways to understand this phrase, Aslu ik taat. Aslu, some say, translates to source. The source is ik taat, one ik taat creator. There are countless worlds and galaxies, but their origin, their source is that one creator. And even Islamic traditions agree with this concept. They are said to be a monotheistic religion. There's another way to translate this line. Aslu meaning asli, the reality, is ik. Oneness is the reality of Taat, Taat being creation, being Maya. So we can translate the second half being they were created from one source or oneness is the reality of creation. In both the meaning is the same, that the Islamic tradition, even though it gives a limit to the universe, agrees that the source of the universe is the oneness. So we can translate this line, 18,000 say the books, oneness is the source of creation. So, so far Guruji hasn't talked about his own ideas. Guruji so far has only quoted the existing theories. Now Guruji brings his revelation. He reaffirms his message and his message is Lekha hoye ta likhiye, lekhe hoye vinas. Lekha means to write an account of something. Lekha hoye ta likhiye. If this can be measured, lekha hoye. If it is measurable, then one can write it down. Only if the universe can be measured, if this thing can physically be counted, only then can we realistically write it down accurately 
with some authority. Lekhe hoye venas. Guruji implies that if you were to realistically measure and write this account down, the one writing it down will be destroyed. Lekhe, the one writing, hoye becomes venas, destroyed. The one writing will grow old, will turn grey, will wither away and die, but his writing will not be complete. This is Guru Nanak's message. The previous traditions have tried to quantify the universe. Guru Nanak's message is the universe cannot be quantified. If measurable, only then can it be written. And the writing by the writer continues, but the writer will be destroyed. This is the same message that Guru Nanak has been saying right from Bauri 16. When he first started talking about Sabna Likya Vodi Kalam, this idea of the only thing that is actually writing is the, the writing of creation. This continuous pen that continues to write the message of creation, the rules of creation, the next moment of creation, that pen is the one that is writing it. Sabna likya vuri kalam. Everything is being written by this continuous pen. E lekha likha koi. If one knows how to write this writing, lekha likya keta hoi, then what would this writing be like? Guruji has used the same analogy time and time again. Only if the universe is measurable should someone attempt to write it down. But the writing will never be complete. What can you write? Even if you were to write the number of galaxies, the number of solar systems, the number of planets, the number of stars, as soon as you put your pen down, another star is born. Another star is destroyed. The very moment you stop writing, your writing becomes out of date. Nanak vada akhiye ape jane ap. Nanak says, vada akhiye. Everyone is saying that this is huge. This is immeasurable. Everyone says that this is a big task. But Guru Nanak isn't just saying that this is a big task. Guru Nanak is saying this is an impossible task. Nanak says, everyone talks about this as a big task. But the reality is, it only knows itself. We cannot know anything, only the universe knows itself. So we have to ask a question. Why is Guru Nanak so fascinated with these stars and planets and galaxies? Why does Guru Nanak Devji mention them? Suniye deep lo patal. Govern sovela vakt govern jit hoa akar. When the universe was created, why does he keep going back to this creation if the very question is irrelevant? Guru Nanak isn't interested in cosmology. Guru Nanak has no interest in these things. 
His interest isn't in the stars. His interest is in mankind's fascination and mankind's curiosity and mankind's feeble attempt to try and quantify the universe. Man's attempt to understand the universe. Asking the big questions about why the universe was creation. So Guru Nanak isn't trying to have a dialogue about the universe. There's a subtle, important message underneath it, which is why do we keep asking these questions? And while the scientists are asking big questions about the universe, we're actually all guilty of asking such questions, the why of life. In Western philosophy, still today, the most profound unanswered question is what is the meaning of life? Why has life been created? So within all of us, there's this search for why. And while the scientists are talking about the big whys, we're left asking the, the small questions about why in our life. We're always seeking to try and understand why things have happened. Now, when something good happens in life, we take all the praise, we take all the credit. We're very happy to accept responsibility for something good happening in our life. As soon as something bad happens in life, that's when the questions come out. How did this happen? Who is responsible for it? Why does it happen to me? There must always be someone else to blame. And when we can't find someone else to blame, then we say things like, oh, it must be my bad karma. Or it must be something I've done in my past life. I'm paying for the sins in my past life, that's why this is happening now. We're not content with the universe as it is, so we seem to be always looking for something to blame. As though somehow asking the question why, who, what is responsible? How did this happen? As though asking this question somehow changes the reality. But the questions never change the reality. The answers never change the outcome. And in the West, something else has also become very prevalent these days as technology has improved. The West is fascinated with genealogy now, the study of their ancestors. Now people are going to look at who was their great-great-uncle, what was his job, what was his habits, who was he married to, how many children did they have, as though somehow that can answer some questions about our life, as though their habits 200 years ago have somehow filtered through to our habits. And so people are now going, searching for long-lost cousins and family members that they never knew that they had. What are they trying to do? 
every attempt is an attempt to fill some kind of void in their life. Every time we answer this with some notion of who did it, how did it happen, why, what we're doing is we're trying to fill an emptiness, a void. It's a way of trying to get some sort of comfort, a sense of belonging. We're trying to fill a void that we all know we have. Everyone knows that within them there is something lacking, some emptiness. And we're all afraid of that emptiness. We're all running away from that emptiness. And we know that that emptiness is deep and dark and empty like the expanse of space. So what do we do? We try and fill that emptiness with external things. We fill our brains with knowledge. We fill our bodies with food. And we fill our homes with possessions. All in an attempt to fill a void that can never be filled by external things. Everything that we do, all the books that we read, all the experiences that we have, what are we doing? We're trying to build up a storage bank of memories. But memories remain about the past. The void is now. And when we don't have anything more to do with the past, then we start building aspirations, ambitions, hopes for the future. Like somehow, if we achieve some more things in the future, that will fill the void. We know we have a void now, but rather than face that void, we defer it. So maybe when I complete my education and get the job that I've always wanted, maybe when I get the pay rise that I want, maybe then I'll be happy. If I'm single, maybe when I get married, if I'm in a relationship, maybe when I get out of that relationship. It's always the next step. It's always somewhere in the future. But the void constantly remains now. There's only one way to tackle that void, and that's to confront it head on. And this is the one thing nobody teaches us how to do, and nobody wants to do it because we're afraid. We don't know what's in that void. We think like it's this black hole. You know, in space we talk about a black hole, which is this emptiness that has a gravitational pull that just sucking planets and galaxies and entire solar systems into it. Light and sound and everything is going into this emptiness. We think inside of us we have something so deep, dark and empty that if we look into it, we will dissolve and die into it. So we're always trying to run away from it. But when we confront it, we realize that it isn't a void at all. When you sit with yourself, when you're quiet within your own self, 
there's something that's always there. There is a me, an I. There is mind and there is awareness. So only when you confront your own fear of just being with yourself will you realize that there isn't actually an emptiness there. There is something there. You are always present. Sit with yourself. Be with yourself. See if you can run away from you. You can't. But no matter how much we talk about these concepts, the mind, awareness, meditation, you cannot know these things until you actually do it. No amount of books that you read on meditation, on Dhyan, on Nam Simran, no amount of books that you read will bring that experience. You have to do it. And day after day, week after week, we listen to the talks, but then we go to the real world and we fill our lives again with external things. We're running away, even when we know we shouldn't be doing it. And the truth of the matter is that you've spent long enough in external pursuits. You've bought enough things. You've had enough experiences. And it has never filled that emptiness. Think about when you go on holiday. Think about the excitement in the planning, the preparation, the packing, the traveling. And then you get there. And then you enjoy all of the experiences. Even when you're sitting on holiday, try and spend a moment on your own in silence. And you realize that it hasn't quite hit the spot. Come back home. And very soon, that intoxication of the holiday feeling wears off. And then you're back, back into the void, back into the emptiness. You must confront this emptiness because it isn't empty. But only you will know that when you sit within yourself. No amount of external things, no amount of knowledge, no amount of experiences is going to fill this void. So knowledge has a limit. And Guru Nanak Dev Ji is talking about this knowledge here. That no amount of knowledge will reach the limit. But... Nanak Vada Akhye Ape Jane Ap. The universe knows all its own knowledge. And if the universe knows all of its own knowledge, then you can know all of your own knowledge because you are part of the universe. You can know yourself. And when you know yourself, 
your emptiness will get filled. So Guru Nanak Dev Ji's message here is one that we can relate back to ourselves. Wahguru Ji Ka Khalsa, Wahguru Ji Ki Fateh.